So my name is Ken. I am the new campus pastor here. I am very excited for this opportunity. Uh, I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in a suburb uh, called Simi Valley, northwest of LA. Uh, and when I, was in, when I was 15, my dad and I were going to a big church event uh, down at the LA Coliseum, which is like straight through the middle of LA, uh, down in South Central. And so my dad and I were leaving for it that day. And right before we got to the car, I'm 15, he says, you want to drive? Okay, now I had my permit, so it was legal. Uh, We've got a picture of my parents, actually, so you can visualize all of this happening. Uh, The crazy part about that, I'm the little guy in the red hat in that picture. I am much closer from that little age there in 1982 when I started driving through down, closer in that picture to when I started driving through downtown LA than I am now. So just picture that little guy in the red hat driving the car for what we're about to talk about. Uh, But he said, do you want to drive? I'm like, yes, Absolutely. Okay, I had my permit. I was busy doing like the surface streets, and there's a really good freeway that runs right through the middle of Simi. I understood that part, but like downtown LA, that is LA traffic. Like it is a thing. Nobody sits better than drivers in LA because you never move. And so dad asked me, do you want to drive? Like that invitation alone as a 15-year-old, every single one of us with a pulse would say, absolutely. Yes, I am in. I want to do this. It was like a totally new step of bravery, especially on his part, uh, but I thought a little bit on my part, way more on his, because he buckled up and sat there uh, the whole time, and both of us made it there alive. But as we started driving, and I'm driving with my knowledge of surface streets and, and following all the rules and stuff, we get on the freeway, and Dad says, okay, one thing you need to know about driving out in L.A., is you cannot go the speed limit. Like, you've got to expand that part of what you do. We won't tell mom. Mom's listening now. It's been many years, so it's okay. But there's a totally new way of driving. So the whole time there, I am anxious. I am nervous. I have never been around this many cars. I'm in South Central. I think I'm going to look over my shoulder at one point and see Tupac because he hasn't been shot yet. Uh, But the whole time, every step, he's like, okay, now here's something you need to do. Okay, that car just changed lanes. You need to move to where he is now. And just step by step the whole way through. We're talking about something similar to that today. It's the invitation that changes everything about us. And then it's the step by step instructions that changes how we respond and how we live out that invitation. And that's something that the Bible calls grace. Grace is one of those Christian words that just gets thrown around all the time. God's grace this, God's grace that. But, but what is grace? At the very end of 1 Thessalonians, which is the book that we're going to be finishing today, we've been in it all summer, so if you've got your Bible or your app, uh, you can go there now. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5.12. At the very end, Paul closes the whole book with one simple command. He says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So that makes a whole lot more sense if you understand what grace is. And so we're going to look at what grace is today and how the idea of grace and the application of grace in our lives and through our lives changes everything that we do. Because at the end of that, he ends the section with, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. But before that, there's a laundry list of 10 things that Paul is telling the church to do. And what we're going to say today, what we're going to look at today is how God's grace completely changes all 10 of these things. So I'm going to read the passage right now. 1 Thessalonians 5.12. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. 
Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, and be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try, try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in our circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit, do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that's said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with Christian love. I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter and to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So grace changes how we look at everything in that. And God's grace is undeserved favor that brings us into relationship with Jesus. It is undeserved favor that God extends to us, which brings us into relationship with Jesus. Because without grace, all right, each one of us are, are still seen by God as sinners. If you want to read up further on this, write down on your outline Romans 1, 18 through the end of chapter 3. It explains in, in big time detail that each and every one of us have fallen drastically short of God's glorious standard. And so what God did was God sent Jesus to bring forgiveness for us, to pay the, bet, the debt for our sin that we could never do. And so then when that is done, God looks at us sinners, looks at Jesus' perfect sacrifice on our behalf, and under no obligation whatsoever on God's part, he extends to us the forgiveness that can only be found in Jesus. It is an undeserved gift that God gives to us, which now that when God looks at us, he doesn't see men and women like us who have sinned, who have fallen short of God's standard in a number of ways. He sees Jesus' perfection on our behalf. He sees the sin that has been given to Jesus, that has been paid for by Jesus. And it's met with the righteousness of Jesus that he lived his life perfectly and never sinned. That, that, that the one who never sinned became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. That is the gracious gift of God. It's a gift that is given to us to bring us into relationship with God. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul, the same guy who's writing here, he writes it in a, in a way that explains all of it. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so that none of you can boast about it. It's a gift. And so we come into a relationship with God through a gift. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life to forgive you of your sins, to be your leader, that's the first way that you, expond, that you respond to grace, is you respond through salvation. And then the rest of life flows out of that. And as we experience this, God's grace brings us into a new life with him. He brings us into relationship. He brings us into family. And we're brought in by grace. None of us, me included, are brought into that because we deserve it. We're brought in because of grace, because God gifts us with invitation into his family. And there's a lot of components of that grace. First is, is it's a life of joy. Verse 16, he says, always be joyful. Right, that's a great instruction. Always be joyful. And when we go from lost and dead in our sins to found, forgiven, and family of God, that's a reason to be joyful. Joy, joy isn't like happiness, which can dissolve like that. Joy isn't circumstantial. 
is something that lives in us, that shapes us every day. That there's joy that's beyond what we see. Like what they were talking about in the missions moment, about how we can talk about joy in a refugee camp because our, our eternity is secure in Jesus. Our life on earth for the Jesus follower is as bad as it ever will be. It will never get worse from here because our eternity is wrapped up with God in heaven. And so we can look at anything that we go through here and we can say it's a reason for joy because at the end of all of this, whether we live in a refugee camp or a gated community, our life in eternity is with Jesus. It's a reason for joy. The second life is a life with prayer that never stops. Verse 17, he says, never stop praying. God is a God who, who brings us into relationship with him, brings us into family. We go from lost and dead to, to found and family. And he brings us in and he never goes to sleep. Right? Psalm 16, 7, it's a simple verse. I love it. it. It says, even at night, my heart instructs me. Even at night, God is awake. And in the age of Google, which never closes, imagine that logging on at three in the morning and Google is like, sorry, we're closed. In our age, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, yeah, big deal, even at night. Some of us would rather have less interaction with everything at night because you don't sleep well. But here, uh, Paul is saying, even at night, or David is saying, even at night, my heart instructs me. And in his day, that was a big deal because they had no electricity. When the sun goes down, everything quits. And so if you wanted to get anything, that meant waking somebody up. That means leaving your tent, going to somebody else's, pounding on the door until somebody would answer. With God, it's totally different because God will always be there. And so grace brings us into a relationship with a God who will always be there, a God who is always listening, a God who will never put you on hold, a God who will never, when he's writing back, you just always see that bubble with the three dots on it. And you're like waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for the response. He listens, he responds always, and grace brings us into that. It also brings us into a life of daily encouragement. 19, it says, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that's said. Hold on to what is good. It's a life of daily encouragement. God is a God that is always listening. And like any relationship, there's always a point where God is going to talk back to us. We call this prophecy. We call this a word of encouragement. But it's based all on the fact, all on the understanding that God actually loves you and wants to speak to you. And he does that. I think the idea of God speaking to us is something that, that can freak us out because what's God going to say? Is he going to tell me to run through traffic today or tell me to stand up and scream somewhere? No, the way that God speaks to you is the same voice that's in your head when you count to 10. It's not James Earl Jones speaking King James language about thee, thou, and thou. It's, it's the still, small voice that you've heard for your whole life, God speaking to you in the same tone that you count to 10 in. At Mountain View, that's something that we're big on. When we do our shape journals, which is our church's Bible reading and journaling program, if you don't read your Bible, this is an awesome way to start. If you read your Bible every once in a while or when you're at church, do it through the rest of the week. You can pick up a journal uh, for a couple bucks as you leave today, and it's got great instructions about how to read in a way that will change your day. Uh, we, we experience this, uh, this work of the Holy Spirit, this work of prophecy that is talked about in verse 19 every time that we do our shape. Because we read a verse from 2,000 years ago, from however long ago, and then we start writing down, okay, God, what do you want to say to me? The S stands for scripture. It's the verse that stuck out to us. H is us saying, okay, God, I want to hear from you today. And God says, my child whom I love, today I want to tell you, fill in the blank. 
It's God's way of taking something that was written thousands of years ago, thousands of miles away, and applying it in your living room. And God continues to do that. Grace brings us into that life. Uh, Saturday, we're going to have a workshop at Mountain View that gives you a great platform and framework for doing that in the rest of your life, for hearing God's voice. Uh, It'll be at 9 a.m. If you've got little kids, you're like, I can't go. The kids will just run crazy the whole time. Yes, they will, and you can go because there's childcare uh, in a different room with a playground. So they're never going to come bother you because there's a playground in there. Uh, So they'll be really excited. Check that out. I will be there so you will know at least one person. Uh, And it's going to be a great opportunity for us to grow in hearing God's voice as he speaks to us. Lastly, it's a life of thanksgiving through all circumstances. I think these things, everything that we're talking about, gives us reason to be thankful. We've been forgiven of our sins. Our old life has been cut away, dead, and left behind by God. We've got a God who listens to us. We've got a guy, a God who talks to us. And all this is a reason for thanksgiving. The longer in life that we spend with Jesus, the more time that we spend following him, and the bigger history that we have with Jesus, the more reason we're going to have to be thankful. The more battles we're going to see that God has won for us in, in years past, in months past, in days past. Here at Mountain View Sunnyside, we're starting our own stories. Well, I want to see years and years of stories of God doing the miraculous in this place as we cry out to him and say, okay, God, here's what needs to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, but you're in charge of everything. So God, come, be, come make yourself known at Mountain View Sunnyside. During the transition from Pastor John to me and people moving to Prodigal and people coming over from main campus, one thing that was crazy difficult and, and stressful for us was getting everything in kids' ministry covered Uh, for the whole month of July, and now in August, we're still a little bit there. But I was meeting with some of the kids' ministry staff uh, on Friday, and we were just talking about scheduling. How many people do we have? Are we where we're needed? For the record, in first through sixth grade, if you love that age group and you'd like teaching them about the Bible, we've got a good need there. You can ask about that uh, at the kids' table after service. Uh, But I'm talking with one of the ladies, and I'm like, how, like, are you freaking out? Are you good? And she said, no, I'm not freaking out at all. I'm very good. We made it through July. Like everything else is going to be great. We survived July. And that's an awesome picture of a reason to be thankful. It's because the more history that we have with God, the more days we've gone through where God has come in and won battles for us, the more issues that have come up that God has says, I'll handle that. You live your life. I've got this the longer list of the way that things have been and the way that God has come in and completely transformed everything is just going to change more and more. It gives us reason for thanksgiving and grace brings us into a lifetime of thanksgiving through all circumstances. So grace is the, is the open embrace that brings us into a relationship with God. And God's grace is also undeserved favor that pushes us away from our old life into the new life. It's the big arms, open wide relationship saying, come to me. And then it is the two-handed shove saying, get out of your old life, get into the new life that I have for you. There's a new king that is in charge of our lives when we become Christians, and it's not me. Okay, so God comes into my life. He says, okay, Ken, now you're going to do different things. And I say, but God, that's not me. And God's like, right, exactly. We're going to improve. We're going to build up. And sometimes for all of us, inevitably that means that we're going to stop being the people that we used to be. But there's a separation. There's a point between this is where I am now. This is where I used to be. And as Christians, that's indicative of our life with Jesus. Grace brings us in. 
Grace says, come to me, all of you who are weak and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And then it says, get out and live a new life. Not get out, but go live that new life where people can see it. Because God's grace pushes us toward a new walk with God that other people can see. It says, this is who I was. This is who I am. This is who God is making me into be on a daily basis. And there are three walks that God takes us through. Walking is a great symbol of a relationship with God because you can change directions at any moment. You start going down the wrong path and you turn around and you walk back and you go down the right path. For all of us, we have that walk with God. And we're going to look at three big ones that are in this passage that, God, that uh, Paul talks about. First one of those is a walk with God toward holiness. Verse 22, it says, Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. There's so much hope in that, because he's not saying, all right, I have bought you, now you better perform or else you are gone. That is the opposite of what God says. God says, I'm going to be faithful in this. But beyond anybody else, you can trust me in this. Day in, day out, night, daytime, even on the weekends, you can trust me to be faithful, that I am going to work from the inside of you to the outside of you with you partnering with me to lead you into a life of holiness. That because of my faithfulness, because of you saying, I don't want any part of my spirit, soul, and body uh, to be kept unholy, we can stay away from every kind of evil. And that doesn't mean that once you blow it, God's like, you're, you're done, you're released, you're fired. God says, I will offer you continual forgiveness. And along the way, I'm going to bring up things that I want you to walk away from. It's a partnership with God. From the very beginning, we are saved by grace. The only thing that we bring to the equation is the sin that needs to get forgiven. And then at that moment, God comes in and says, okay, I'm going to start working on you from the inside, pulling you to this new life, this new relationship with me. And so it's a walk toward holiness. Secondly, is it's a walk with difficult people. If you think that your life with Jesus, the moment you become Christians, is going to be completely void and empty of, of difficult people, then you will start riding to work every day on a unicorn because neither of those things are going to happen. God says, I'm going to work in you in the midst of difficult people. And so this passage talks about three of them. First one it talks about is your boss. Right, here he goes with, with the image of your spiritual leaders. He says, brothers and sisters, Honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Here in this day and age, it's really easy. If you don't like the pastor, if you don't like me, there are like eight doors in this place, some backstage, some behind you. You can leave. There's another church you can go to. It is okay. It's a lot harder when it's your boss. It's a lot harder to leave a paycheck then it is the place that you worship. And so for us, I think God's word for us is, that's great, honor your pastor. We'll talk about that more some other time. But let's also honor the people who are over us Monday through Friday, the people that are over us eight to five. And he's got two rules in here. One of them, he says honor. I think we honor, them, honor people by treating them well when they're not around. As soon as you're the person on top, you are a magnet for criticism, for gossip, for slander, jealousy, all these things. And what he says here is honor your leaders. Honor the people who are above you. The second rule is respect. 
That means when they are around, when they do see you, when they can see you rolling your eyes, don't do that. Treat them with respect even when you're talking face-to-face to the boss that you can't stand. It's a picture of God's forgiveness and God's grace and God's mercy for us that when we were his enemies, Jesus came and died for us. And so when it's your boss, you treat them well when they're not around, when they can't hear the things that you say about them yet because it always comes back. And then when they are around, you treat them respect. You might be the only person in the office who treats them with respect, but you do this knowing that you've been forgiven by a God that you sinned against way more than you've ever sinned against your boss. And God forgives you and God brings you into a new life. And so you live that out by the way you treat your boss. Second group of difficult people are haters. These are people that don't like anything you do and they tell you that. Verse 15, it says, See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good with each other and to all people. What's the rule there? Is don't pay back evil for evil. It doesn't say avoid all evil. It doesn't say make sure that nothing ever bad happens to you. Because again, your pulse would have to stop for that to happen. But as that happens, as stuff comes into our life, what's the rule? Don't pay back evil for evil. And the picture that we have of this, the the guide and the mark that we have of this to follow is Jesus on the cross. Looking at the people who have murdered him willingly. The people who have taken everything that he owns and they're playing games to see who gets to go home with it. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the model for forgiveness. That's the way that God created human relationships to work is to be built on forgiveness, even towards our haters. And you can look at it and say, you know what? Again, that's not me. That's not the way I do things. And God says, I know, I know, but it's the way that I do things. And with me in charge, I'm going to lead you into a new way of life third group is just annoying people. They might not be haters. They may not be your boss, but you just look at them the way they do things, and you're like, that is annoying. Okay, I do that too. So if you think you're just going to eventually spiritualize yourself out of that, won't happen. Okay, you will always be bothered by somebody. Here in this passage, it's lazy people. So if you look at it, and you're like, hey, I'm already lazy. Cool, just apply it to the people that you don't really like. It says, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. You're welcome. Encourage those who are timid. Take care of those who are weak and be patient with everyone. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. What that means is that as God comes to live at home in each and every one of us, there are going to be these things that pop up. One of them is patience. If you're like, well, that's not me. I'm not a patient person. Somebody else has patience. No, no, no. It's the idea of singular fruit. You're a Christian. That means this fruit is going to grow in nine different ways. One of, one, one of which is patience. And it goes all back to the performance thing. If you're impatient, are you underperforming for God? No, no, no. God has already started the work of patience in you by his spirit. It's just a matter of us saying, okay, I'm going to yield to this work. I'm going to let God's work take over me to make me into the patient person that I am not. And God says, I realize you're not there. And I'm going to take you the rest of the way. And the last one, is a walk with people that you know way too much about. 25, 26, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with Christian love. I think the idea there is that here at church, there's supposed to be people that you know a lot about. The longer that we're going to stay together as a church community, the more our lives are going to become enmeshed in each other's. The more we're going to find out about each other. And then when we see each other, the good or the bad melt or the bad melts away and we greet each other in love. 
because we're a community that's built on love. Ways to meet people, to start, you can start practicing this. One of them, you've got that serve card that's been in uh, your bulletin for the last few weeks. We're going to continue to put it there because as we make this transition, there are a whole lot of opportunities for people to serve to make Sunnyside an amazing place on Sundays. If one of those fits your fancy, mark it, drop it off the info table as you walk in. There are 11 big ways where people can serve in their giftedness to bless and benefit Mountain View Sunnyside. I was watching the setup crew guys today. Two guys who have gone to Mountain View main campus for years together and never knew each other. And so they've worked together for the past three weeks. They did a bunch of work this morning and seeing them leave, like they're friends now. It's awesome. Why? Because they made a change, got into something where they could find out about some other people, meet other people, and now they're friends. This happens as we serve together, as we enmesh our lives with other peoples as part of the church. We build relationships through that. In a few weeks, we'll have signups for life groups. After, a, after the 11 o'clock service today, we're having a lunch. All these things help to build relationships. If you're here and you know no one, get involved with something and you'll immediately meet people and make friends. It's one of the great benefits of the church. And the second thing is prayer together. We've got a prayer meeting. You can write this down. Take out your pen because it will be almost 168 hours, one full week until it happens again. Uh, 8.45, soon to be 8.30 in the kids' church room as soon as you walk in. It's a group of people that gathers. They pray for the service. They pray for each other. They pray for me, which you know like there's a massive need there. Uh, and they build relationships as they pray together. So I encourage you, serve card, lunch, life groups, prayer. And this is how we respond to God. And God brings us in through his grace for relationship with us. And then once he takes us, he doesn't just leave us where we're at. He says, all right, now I've got new things for you. I've got new power for you. And I'm going to lead you in all that every step of the way. Let's stand and pray. Father, I thank you that you're the God that saves us. You're a God of grace, and that, that grace isn't just there to forgive us and then leave us. But it's a grace that gives us better than we deserve every day and calls us and empowers us into a new life. If you're here today and you've never made that first response towards grace of asking Jesus to come into your life to forgive you of your sins, to change you from the inside of you to the outside of you, I want to give you that chance today. And the first step of that is just to look at me and raise your hand when I count to three. You're not saying you're perfect. You're saying, all right, I'm ready for a relationship with Jesus today. So one, God loves you. He has never stopped loving you. He always has loved you. And today he's calling you to follow him. Two, all of us, me included, have a thing called sin in our lives, which pushes God out. It says, no thanks, I've got this. I'm doing it my way. And Jesus came to forgive us of our sin. And three, today's your day to say, that's me. I'm in. I'm ready. Is there anyone like that here today? Just look at me and raise your hand. Okay, I see you where you are. Someone's going to be there to pray for you too at the end of the service. All right? Is there anyone else like that or today's your day to say yes to Jesus? All right? The thing about grace that hits all of us is that we are all constantly in need of it. And so what God does is he never says, figure anything out on your own. He says, come to me. Let me heal you. Let me teach you a new way to live. And so I want to encourage us to respond today in grace.
responding to God's grace. The front is open. Let's respond with our feet in confirming what God's doing in our hearts and saying, God, I, this is the area where I need you. Whether it's around, I mean, anything that we talked about, or even if we didn't talk about it, you just know in your head, man, this is an area where I need God. Let's respond together saying, God, this is where I want you to work. We'll respond in worship. Let's go.